is the Make Design Podcast. Okay, hello and uh, welcome to our sixth episode, um, which we're very, very proud to have achieved. <laughs> um, there's been five so far. I hope you've gone and listened to them, to those uh, 35 listeners that we, that we have. Hopefully there'll be 36 after this. Um, it's a lovely, beautiful day in Dubai. And um, today's theme is Arabic language in the modern day. This is kind of a working title, which we may change afterwards. Um, I'm here with Ola Aserouf from Alifia Solutions. Hello, Ola. Hello. How are you doing? Great, how are you? I'm fine, I'm fine. We've had a nice little chat and uh, made sure that we are all aligned and um, ready to discuss this really kind of, this theme that I think that I've already said to you will kind of expose my lack of understanding of my own language, because you're the expert. Um, but I think it's a theme that is needs more uh needs more sort of experts to talk about we're in a multicultural society a lot of people will come from uh all places around the world to dubai and i think that there is uh, a lack of understanding of the arabic language especially today and in the past which i hope that you're going to give some information about um I think the best to start is if you can introduce yourself, just tell us a bit more about your background, maybe a bit about education, how you came to starting up your agency um, in Dubai, and then we can deep dive into the great questions we have. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> okay, so hello, everyone. Um, the 35 listeners. <laughs> Come on, Ola, go on. Come on. Come on. Especially after today's episode. Yes, yes, we have extra one. <laughs> um, so my name is Ala Roof and I am from Syria. Um, I've been here for 16 years. I moved here in 2005 and uh, just to do a freelance job uh, after graduating from university. And uh, I just thought, okay, I'll do this job for uh, a year and then go back. And then I guess it's like the story of a lot of people in Dubai. One year turned into 16 and then 20 and 30. And then you just wow. never want to leave. Okay. <laughs> um, what I studied was the economy and business in uh, university. In Syria? In Syria, in Damascus University. And it's just something that I studied because I had to choose a major. <laughs> it's not necessarily what I would have picked. Um, but like in terms of language and content, I've always been fascinated and interested um, with languages, especially my own language, Arabic. I, I love it. I um, just think it's, uh, a huge uh, body of, of, of words and, and um, grammar and, and rules, and it has... Uh, poetry it has uh, a lot of uh, history so it's just something that I've always been fascinated to know more about and that's why I started writing and, and reading a lot and at the same time I was also interested in English language and I started learning it in school from a pretty young age um, and uh, when I moved to Dubai uh, my my first freelance job was uh, working in uh, like a subtitling job and uh, where I had to 
look at English uh, text or the script and then translate it into Arabic or like if it's already subtitled, I had to check the subtitles and make sure that everything's uh, uh, translated properly in terms of meaning, in terms of context and grammar. Um, and it was an amazing thing to do, like watching TV for a living. Like, <laughs> wow, and then translating it, huh? Yeah. So where, where, did, where did that, do you remember that at what point you kind of had a love for language and thought, oh, that's really interesting. I want to, do you remember what point that happened? Was it somebody gave you something or I you did something? It comes from seeing my parents always reading at home. And okay. we always, like my, my mom especially, always made sure we had uh, stories and, and uh, books and things to read. And like they would read anything they can put their hands on. So I think growing up in, in a place or in a household where everyone's interested in reading um, made me want to do it. And there were so many interesting and, and beautiful uh, novels for kids at that time growing up. And I just like, it was an escape as well because I was living in a very small city in, in Syria it's, uh, called Tums. Uh, where I was born and like uh, there was like apart from going to school and like riding a bike every now and then there was like almost nothing else to do so books were like an escape for me and that's where like my love for uh, language like Arabic and English at the same time developed Um, What, what, what English books would you have gotten in Syria at that time what would they have been like classic stories or would they be something? Yeah, like, I think with English in particular, uh, I am like, I didn't start reading it until I was more like a teenager. Uh, mm-hmm. And that was uh, interesting. <laughs> like magazines like Top of the Pops. And oh, yeah, Smashes. I remember that. Um, so they were like absolutely fascinating for me, you know, like because I loved all these boy bands and girl bands and like I wanted what, Spice Girls and things Spice Girls Backstreet Boys Instinct you know you name it and I just wanted to know everything about them and my sister at that time had moved to uh, the UK and she started sending me like by mail a bunch of like magazines and they would reach sometimes like a month late and uh-huh. and, and like all the stories would be outdated but I could, didn't care <laughs> Because, like, I just wanted to, to read them. And, yeah. like, they also, some of them had lyrics for the for the songs uh, that I used to listen to wow. on cassettes. And, like, they would send them uh, with the magazine. And I'm like, oh, my God, you know, I can understand all the words now. I don't have to make up words from my mind uh-huh. <laughs> just to, to fill the blanks. So um, that was, like, when I started reading English. But for Arabic we had so many uh, books already and, and I would just want I wanted to read even if I didn't understand what I was reading like most of the time I just like uh, it was gibberish for me although it was Arabic but because like it's there and, and the book in front of me and I want to read it so I would just read it and like most of the time I didn't understand what I was really reading. wow yeah because I, I was like seven or eight but you know because my dad was reading this book so I want to read it as well like you know so you're in the corner reading yeah just want to do everything that they do so I would just pick up the same book that my dad is reading and be about like Henry Kissinger's uh, memoir or something I'm like hmm interesting upside down yeah (laughs) 
<laughs> like, that's what I was like, my son does. Um, so you got a job, well, sorry, you got a freelance job here doing translations for TV. Mm-hmm. What happened after that? So after that, I, I did this job for five years. And uh, um, then I moved into, I, I uh, got a call from um, a big media company here in Dubai. And they were looking for editors for their uh, new online magazine. And it was like in 2010, and there was this whole interest in digital media and and online, not just print. Um, and they wanted people who were enthusiastic about this and and who have good uh, commands in Arabic uh, language and in English as well. But it was an Arabic type uh, role, so I um, I applied, or actually they called me, and I went for the interview, and then. It went from there, and I became editor for uh, an online magazine. It was the one of the first women uh, online magazines in in uh, the Middle East and GCC in specific. And uh, then I just changed uh, editorial uh, roles in different uh, media companies until I decided to. Uh, leave my uh, full-time job and start something on my own. <laughs> what year was that? Uh, 2016. Okay. All right. So after that, it was just working as like freelancing for a while. And uh, it took off. And then I started Alifia Solutions. And uh, Alif is uh, the letter A in the um, Arabic alphabet. And Dia is the letter Z. So it's like from A to Z, oh, okay. and nice. uh, we do a lot of content ser- services from content development to localization, verification, uh, translation, uh, content strategy, and insights. So, okay, yeah, amazing. That's a pretty incredible journey um, to come here just on a whim yeah and then suddenly end up yeah. here and start like, your own I agency. never thought that language is going to be my career like I was hmm. when I was studying in university and then thinking of what I'm going to do in the future I never thought that oh I'm going to work in languages like creating content because for me that was always a hobby but I think that's like the passion that I have and it was right there with me from the beginning but like I didn't notice it until much later were you always the A student to get uh <laughs> in languages in language, were you the A yes. student yeah oh, I, I hated, hated those students <laughs> I hated you guys <laughs> you really made were it hard for the, us the, I was the F student no I was just like yeah. art that's my must <laughs> my yeah. I was actually told by my language i think it was french to stop doing french because i was so bad like please please for the love of french (laughs) so that that was i'd say french so i stopped that and then there so i just can do that but like i i I struggled but that's like one of the reasons why people um you know like uh are scared of languages because maybe of uh, someone like your French teacher is like, you know, uh, please <laughs> stop learning the, uh, yeah. French. 
But if you had a different teacher, maybe your French would have been uh, a lot better. And I think that helped me in in some ways uh, when I was in school, because in some uh, classes I had amazing Arabic teachers and the it wasn't a class for me. It wasn't like, oh, I am in school and like, oh my God, the Arabic class now and I am just going to snooze for a while. It was like so enjoyable, especially when it was like a poetry class and the teacher is explaining the meaning of, of certain words and what the poet meant with like these uh, words or these verses. And she would act them sometimes like towards like she, if the, uh, she was like explaining how the poet is like riding a horse, then she would like act riding a horse. And <laughs> if it's raining, she mm. would act like, oh, the cloud, there are clouds and there's like the sound of rain. So that helped a lot because like it's so uh, dry. It can be so dry. But like mm. having someone like this, uh, making it more like a, a play and like give you your, mm. all these visual images, then it does make it more interesting and it does make you want to know more about it. And same with English as well. I've had some uh, horrible English teachers and some really great ones. And these people influence your journey with, with language. I agree. I think... It's now, I mean, now I look at how my son is learning Arabic and they do it at school every, I think it's every day apart from one day of the week. And, you know, he describes how, yeah, daddy, it's the letter with the slide, you know, <laughs> or it's the the one that's got the giraffe's neck. So yeah. he, they're using definitely some sort of visual cues yeah. to help them remember. And, you know, I look at him and think, what are you talking about? I look at letter. Yeah, it's a giraffe's neck. You're right. Let's go. So um, I think, yeah, maybe I just had a, a bad teacher. Anyway, he doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> I've shown him. I've shown him. Go on. Where are you now? Can you talk about, like, dialects and what how people use them? Because since I've been in Dubai, people talk about, oh, there's... Uh, the, the main dialect is this or the main dialect is that. So just like any other part of the world, there are different dialects and even in the same language and Arabic is no exception. So there are 22 Arab countries and uh, each one of them has their uh, own developed, fully developed dialect. And some of them can be very similar and close to each other. And others can are super different and uh, uh, far apart from, from another Arabic dialect. Okay. So we, if like talking about regions, in, uh, we have the Levant uh, dialect, for example, which is the dialect spoken and used in countries uh, that are Syria, Lebanon, Palestine, and Jordan. And then you have the Khaliji uh, dialect, which is like the GCC countries, Saudi and UAE, Qatar, Bahrain. But then each one of those dialects has like the its similarities and its uh, unique uh, aspects and words and, and uh, rules and you have the Iraqi which is like a mix uh, in my opinion of, of a bit of Levant and a bit of Khaliji and then like Sudan is like a whole other mm. uh, dialect and then Egypt as well and like Egypt is very 
um, widely spoken dialect first because of the uh, number or like the population of Egypt and second of all because of uh, uh, the role uh, e Egyptian cinema and TV and media played in the Arab world especially that it was one of the first uh, fully developed uh, uh, media industries in the, in the Arab region. And then you have the Morocco, like North Africa dialects, which are completely different, especially Moroccan. And it's like a mix of, of Arabic, French and uh, Berber uh, as well, which is like a completely different language uh, in its own. So uh, trying to master all of them is uh, something that is... Uh, <laughs> virtually impossible but um, I think yeah it depends on your interest on your exposure to all these dialects like how much you watch TV for example when you were a kid and like what TV did you watch and um, how what channels did you receive because like if you only received like Egyptian channels or like Lebanese channels then your dialect would be uh, uh, would gravitate towards these dialects um, and then if you traveled as well and lived in other Arab countries, you would get exposed. But um, not everyone can, can, not all Arabs necessarily can understand each other's dialects uh, fully. And that's where Fusha or like classical Arabic comes to help. And that's the classical Arabic that is used in like the newspapers, in uh, like formal uh, TV programs in schools. Uh, That's dialect-free, essentially. Uh, yes, yes. So, like, if you want, you can say this is the language of the Quran. You know, like that everyone can read and understand, and uh, there's no like mix and like what does this word mean? Because this is like the the, the common yes, Arabic, kind yes. of everyone understands. And then, so with the United Arab Emirates, United Arab Emirates, so you've got all the multiculturals here. You've got the Saudis, the Kuwaitis, the UAE. How, place, how yeah. do you, how, 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 are the dialects blurred over each other a little bit, or are they clearly No, they separated? are clearly separated if you are like a native and like you speak your dialect and you know it. But today, uh, and with all like the the, the with globalization and living in a place like Dubai, there is uh, what we call now the white Arabic accent, which is the a mix of of every uh, or like a mix and match between different Arabic dialects, and they it's also widely understood, and it's not very like region specific, so. Um, we use it sometimes even in creating uh, certain uh, content for certain clients who want to cater to audiences in like the MENA region and beyond. So we, you, and they don't necessarily want to use classical Arabic, which can be a bit uh, like stiff and rigid. So they want something in between. So that's why we have the Arabic, uh, the white Arabic. And it's, uh, for example, a project that I'm working on at the moment for a client that they want their content in this uh, uh, white Arabic. But when we were talking about it, I'm like, okay, but you have to be a little bit specific. Like what, what about uh, how we use the letter K, for example, because the letter K or Kaf 
in, yeah. uh, it can be ch in Iraqi, yes. but it can be uh, k in, in Syrian or like Levant. Uh, the letter jim, for example, it's ya in, in Emirati. It turns into a ya in Emirati. So like I, instead of saying uh, dejaj in UAE, you say dejag, dejag. In mm-hmm. Egypt, it's g, so it's degag. So like... Mm-hmm. It is white, <laughs> but like even with this, you have to uh, uh, yeah, and you fine tune the uh, accent or like the dialect uh, to cater to everybody and like not exclude uh, one dialect. Uh, and that's white Arabic dialect. Yeah, that's yeah, called white sure. Arabic dialect. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's like. As if it's like Amia, you know, you say Amia also, uh, that is a mix between uh, Fusha and uh, uh, spoken words, but that are not specific to a certain region. Okay. And so that's the beauty of it as well. Like, look at how many words we can, we have for uh, how are you in Arabic or like uh, a lot. Um, you can say Ktir, a lot. It's, Hawaii in Iraqi, Marra in Saudi, Bzaf in Moroccan, Barsha in Tunisian, and so on. Awi Awi in Egyptian. So it's interesting. Yeah. If we're talking in terms of like everyday life and the language, the Arabic language that people use between each other here, I would say, yeah, it's the white uh, Arabic. And I think Arabs here make an effort to not use very uh, specific uh, region specific words in order to make their speech understand understandable by other Arabs but if we're talking in terms of brands and content creation and what we use then the majority of the content created um, so far until now is the classic is in classical Arabic it's still the Fusha uh, because it's still uh, widely understood and it's uh, what is expected uh, to be used in in when creating content, especially formal content. But I think a lot of uh, brands now, they want to use more of the white accent, even in creating their content for for their website or their social media, because for some reason they think it's more approachable and and that could be uh, correct. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. And so, like, when it comes to Arabization and translation, what each of them is, a bit more of how you, how you use them within your work. First of all, I have to thank Google Translate because it uh, gets me a lot of clients. Yes. <laughs> but there are still people who think, like, Google Translate is the answer for yes. uh, to all content problems. Um, so, yeah, it's a very important question, actually. So... Uh, to differentiate translation, it looks at the text in uh, just like the plain text. So you have a bunch of words and then you want to find the equivalent uh, for them in the target uh, language. Um, and you try to do that while not like changing the, the meaning or like rest- Basically, okay, this word means this, this word means this, mm. then you just arrange them and um, like nice way together and you try to make 
make them uh, make sense. And that's it. Like you're done. Like you translated it and then uh, it's, it's done. For localization, it's like a completely different framework and it involves a lot of, of details. So with localization, you look into the story, the background, the context of, of the text. So you, uh, for example, um, try to dive deeper into what the text is trying to say while taking into consideration the cultural uh, differences between the um, source text and the target text. And that takes more time, that takes more understanding of the uh, source language and your uh, target language. Um, it involves you being curious about the text that you, you have to try to give it uh, more authenticity and not just mere translation. So at the end, the reader is reading something that they feel it's written in their own language. It's not just like a secondhand text uh, that looks obviously just translated without any effort to give it more authenticity and more familiarity. Um, so, for example, um, I would, if I would give some examples about how we do certain localization phrases. So, for example, if I have a text that says uh, a bridesmaids, um, in, in English culture, like European culture, there is the role of bridesmaid, but in uh, Arab culture, this role doesn't really exist uh, unless you are like um, uh, from a Christian background, then you can say the word ishbina. Okay, which means the uh, bridesmaid. But then you have to look again, like, mm, am I translating to um, a, a place where they, or like an area where they don't use this word, even right. like if it's an Arabic word and it does mean bridesmaid, but like if I insert it here, does it serve a purpose or uh, does is the audience going to understand what I'm uh, referring to? So like you can simply replace it with like guests instead of just saying bridesmaid or like your female guests. If I am saying Sunday brunch and my target audience is... Um, like they're they're in the Arab region or like in the MENA region, then Sunday brunch becomes like a bit out of context. And instead I can say Friday breakfast because first it's the weekend. The weekend in this region is, is not on Sunday and people do their gatherings mostly on a Friday. And even in Dubai, if you want to say it's a Friday brunch, it's not a Sunday brunch. So this is something that you also need to pay attention to when you are doing localization and not just translation. If you're just translating, you'll just write, okay, Sunday brunch, and then thank you very much, yellow butt. But then you need to dig deeper. Um, for example, does the audience that you are doing the content for do they use metric system or do they use imperial system so do they use uh, pounds uh, and and lbs or do they use kgs and and grams do they use centimeter and meter or do they use inches and feet so because like if i translate uh, feet into arabic and then like the audience uh, don't use it and i don't know what how sure. long this is then it defeats the purpose of of uh, uh, them reading this this text and trying to understand it um if if a place that they 
use a check or they use cash on delivery or credit cards. So this also you need to change. And I think this is why localization takes a bit longer and it's uh, it takes more research because you want to give a, a tailor-made content to your audience, not just translating it uh, word for word. So, I mean, it must take a hell of a lot longer, really. It does. And this is just like we are talking about the context and the meaning. And then the other uh, issue that we face with the localization is uh, the technical aspects, because Arabic is a right to left uh, language. And most of the... Uh, coding systems in, uh, are, are done for languages that are from left yeah, to right. Yeah. So uh, you have to also make sure that your uh, platform supports that kind of text and you have to make sure there are no bugs, the mm. text is not flipping and avoid all these de uh, details. In localization also, we don't just look at the... Um, words we look at uh, the images and the, the visuals that accompany the text and we make sure that there is nothing culturally offensive or uh, that is a cat movie you know like if uh, you remember i don't know if, if you're familiar with this but like uh, years ago some magazines uh, used to put uh, like black ribbons or boxes on, on revealing photos of uh, women uh, pen yeah, sure. they, <laughs> like still they still do. They still do. I think they use it a bit. Hey, those guys! <laughs> <laughs> How dare they? <laughs> but like, for example, in, in localization now, we would use different kinds of images. We want to use uh, um, uh, these appropriate. Uh, yes, and mm. I think the content creators are more educated and more aware of these things now. So, like, they create images that are already culturally sensitive, and they don't have these. Um, like uh, revealing uh, uh, aspects in them. So I think it's, uh, we, we're not seeing more of these no. black boxes anymore, oh my good. Um, which is good. Um, yeah, and like sometimes there are references to words like sex or alcohol or pork or like wine. And that used to happen a lot when I was doing the subtitling. And then you would say like, oh, okay, what's the best alternative to, to these words? without sounding too, um, you know, like, without uh, giving a totally different meaning. Um, so, yeah, it does come with its set of challenges, and they are like... Uh, I don't know, I just imagine there's a lot of yes, things to yes, fix out yes. there. There is, like, I think Arabic is still in its infancy yeah. in, on the digital um, mm realm if you want and there are people that are doing it right and uh, there are people that still need to work a lot more on their delivery nice very kind of good response there yeah, not to Alifia can help you <laughs> call 90725 um how do you keep up to date with how the arabic language is being used especially by uh the younger generation uh, in digital and in print, and, you know, generally, I mean, it's, it's conversations we've had with clients because they want to speak sometimes, you know, you get the classic Generation Z, millennials, uh, you know, what are they talking like? How are they talking? And then um, how, do you, how do you get around that? Because that must be changing all the time. Yeah, like language, after all, is like you have to look at it as a living organism. It's developing, it's mm. changing uh, 
there are a lot of things that influence uh, the words that we use these days and how we write and uh, um, how we use our words and definitely changed with uh, the emergence of uh, the internet and how it infiltrated our lives and it, it made us it created a need to have a different uh, way of writing and communicating. So luckily for us, we actually work with a brand or like with, a, sorry, an online magazine that is uh, uh, creates content for Gen Z and uh, millennials. And so it's fascinating to read these articles because they are written by uh, these young uh content creators and we arabize them and then like sometimes uh fires doing it or like my team's doing it they they uh have to research a lot of new words that they have never heard of before but it's a great learning curve for us because they are educating us as well like we don't pretend to know everything mm. in like all the uh secrets of <laughs> language in the 21st century so it's amazing to get the first-hand insight from these uh, young uh, writers like for example in one of those articles there was a reference to uh, visco girls and visco girls yeah, v-s-c-o or okay. i guess that's how it's mm -hmm. <laughs> and i was like what <laughs> is that like a typo or is that like a real word and then mm -hmm. i had to go and research what a visco girl is and it's like uh, a style of like girls wear uh, scrunchies and like colorful tie-dye t-shirts mm -hmm. and like uh, are uh, in, aware about the environment and they don't use plastic it's like wow okay now I know what a visco girl is and then in one one conversation with my uh, eight-year-old niece she's like oh you know I'm like a visco girl I'm like yeah you are and she was like so astonished that I knew what a visco girl is well. yeah. and yeah so it was really uh an interesting conversation how would you how would you how would you how would you localize that so like in these cases we write it as it is so like oh. we write for example girls who uh, follow the visco style because you cannot pretend that you mm. can translate or like find an equivalent to every single word of english in, in arabic and that's like word that didn't exist in Arabic before and I, it's so hard to find uh, the right equivalent for it. So there is no harm in using these words that uh, are uh, new and just writing them in Arabic and then explaining to the audience what they really mean, you know, and like by adding a few uh, words or, or lines. Um, but it's something that I struggled with at the beginning. Like there was, there were some uh, very passionate uh, scholars about Arabic language and they're like no 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 we cannot use foreign words and we cannot insert them into Arabic and like for example words like computer or like radio or microwave you know and they would insist on using the uh, equi Arabic equivalent of, of these words uh, but they're not used like so don't be so stiff about it and this is how you develop the language and this is how you make it relevant to the uh, audience or like your readers or your uh, uh, viewers and by by giving them content in their uh, language 
but adapt it and make it more uh, modern. There's no harm in that. And it's not taking away from the beauty of Arabic language. It's, uh, um, Keep listening, you might learn something. Oh, yeah. Um, in Arabic in specific, the emergence of uh, uh, internet and social media um, contributed to creating a whole new alphabet that is like a mix of uh, Ar- English uh, letters and numbers. So instead of typing in Arabic, because a lot of, of uh, the young generation as well, they don't really know how to write in Arabic, but they can speak it. So instead of typing in Arabic, they use a mix of uh, English letters and numbers to uh, express themselves in Arabic. And for example, the letter ha becomes uh, seven, number seven. The hamza in Arabic, which is like one of the uh, accents or Arabic letters, becomes number two. So like, and then they use the uh, um, English letters in between. So when you look at it, it's like, oh my God, what is this? And then if you know how to decipher these codes, then you would be able to understand it. And it's uh, what uh, is commonly named now Arabizi or like Arabizi in in, uh, uh, internet lingo. And it's like a a whole uh, new alphabet uh, that a lot of people use and not just the young generations, even um, uh, like my generation or older, they also started using it and just like I meet a lot of uh, Arabs uh, that don't know how to speak Arabic or like they don't you're, you're looking at you're looking at me. Thanks. But like you never learn, you never <laughs> meet, or like I never met a German who doesn't know how to speak German, for example. Yes. I never met a Swedish who doesn't know how to speak Swedish, especially when they're expats. Except for Arabs, like I don't understand where this comes from. That's very true. And I think in some ways they think it's not cool to speak Arabic. Like, oh my God, you know, I don't know how to speak Arabic. But it's not. <laughs> it's not cool not to speak Arabic. Yeah. You know, it's actually very cool. It's one of the most difficult languages that you can learn. So like if you can uh, master it at a young age or like even get exposed to it, it will help you a lot in, in the future, especially if you're living in the region. I agree. I think that from a personal perspective, I I, uh, um, I didn't speak hardly any Arabic when I was back in the UK, only probably to between my mother, but then we eventually just slipped back to English. Mm. And I didn't have any Arabic friends to practice mm. on. And then coming here, uh, I've got Arabic friends, uh, and that's really helped. And I found that Sometimes it's laziness as well on my part that I speak English to an Arabic person. And I've, I've had scenarios where when you go to maybe government entities or, you're, you know, you're, you're dealing with someone. And the reason I go English because there's a fear inside me, I'll come to a place where either I won't know what to say or I don't understand what they've said back, especially when you're in a context of, a license renewal. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I didn't even you know. Yeah, exactly. Or like I just feel like okay. And then they find out well they obviously they look at the name and I'll say something uh you know, shukran or, <laughs> or 
And I say, oh, you want to speak Arabic? Oh, yeah, why do you speak Arabic? And it's like they're disappointed you should, and they're very proud, yeah, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. I, I think understand. there's a fear. I think there's a fear. There is absolutely the fear factor. There is like the sinking into your uh, comfort zone with your own language and what you uh no, um, and it does take courage to try to speak and make mistakes, and uh, uh, you know, like it's it's it's. But I feel it's something that you should be proud of. Mm. You know, like at least you're trying. You know, when let's say when you go to France and you try to speak French to uh, French people, and like even if you're saying. Uh, the words incorrectly but at least you're trying to speak a language that is not yours and they should like encourage you and uh, they should but they don't yeah. <laughs> they're really angry like even in arabic uh, you know uh, arabs are always fascinated when non-arabs try to speak arabic mm. and they're like so amazed and so encouraging mm. and like very happy to hear it so i think it's a cliche but like yes even if you make mistakes just uh, keep doing just it. Just keep running. Yeah, this is how you will learn. And if you don't, then would just uh, uh, you will forget it. And uh... I think that uh, it's definitely helped in some, you know, meeting situations for me. Like I, you know, if I know I'm meeting someone who's obviously an Arabic client or potential Arabic client, and uh, I start the meeting in. Uh, in Arabic, and then slowly <laughs> the English starts to pull you back. And before you leave, you're like, uh, you know, yeah. old school English, like the Queen, <laughs> just get completely the other way. But um, I just find that I think there's, yeah, you're right. I think there's a bit of fear, slightly. Uh, there's definitely a, like people think it's uncool. Mm. Yeah, like this is definitely mm. uh, one of the reasons, and I think it's associated with the. Uh, Historically, let's say maybe not necessarily now, but like uh, historically it's associated with class. Mm. So like in the Arab world, um, I would say like maybe in the early uh, 20th century after uh, colonialism and uh, the colonization of, of the Arab countries, um, there was... Uh, like a class division when it comes to languages and like the affluent families would teach their kids foreign languages with their with English or French and the less um, privileged or like less uh, um, uh, families from uh, lower incomes let's say they couldn't afford that they couldn't even afford an education at that mm. point so I think that's why it became like oh you know it's cool that you speak these uh, foreign languages that means you are affluent you come from like a very reputable background and you have uh, a lot of money but like I don't speak those languages that means like I am from a different class and now it's not the case at all but I think subconsciously we still kind of associated with these things like oh i want to speak uh, only like a foreign language because that means i am better than you yeah. or like i come from a higher class um but yeah i think 
as I said, learning in uh, a new language is always something cool. There is nothing to be uh, ashamed of if you know your language and if you master it. And this is your identity at the end of the day. Like uh, we use language in our media, in our uh, schools to to reflect who we are and to highlight the image of a country, you know, like the cultural image, the economic image. This is like you you use your language to spread the message, these messages. So if you know how to speak this language, then yeah, it's something amazing and nothing to be ashamed of. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm trying to, I said to my wife that I will speak only uh, Arabic to our daughter so when she you can speak english that's fine but i'll speak arabic so hopefully she'll pick that up because there's my my son's friend uh actually his dad speaks italian and his mom speaks english and he's just like flicking from that's one amazing. to the other in a, in in and just you don't notice it but he can do it straight away and I'm, i think i'm going to try and do that because i totally agree with you it's definitely your identity um although my <laughs> daughter might have an Irish Iraqi accent. That's so cool. <laughs> really that's strange. Cool. That's cool. See, really? Like, yeah. When you're like, oh, I have an Iraqi uh, Irish accent. I mean, what is, is that? So what is that? What is that? She can create her own. Oh uh, my goodness! <laughs> no traveling for her. Straight off. Um, um, how is Arabic perceived by brands today? And what are things they're doing good and what are things they're doing bad? I think that's the theme that is, um, I mean, you must walk around <laughs> and just shake your head a lot. <laughs> you must see it all the time of like, oh, they didn't, oh, what? they don't mean that. They mean that. Or yeah. You see it all the yeah. time. Yeah, we do. Because we, do. Yeah. <laughs> we don't. I, I don't. Sometimes it makes me laugh. Sometimes it just makes me cry. Like, what's happening to my language? Why are they wow. doing this to it? Um, so is there more bad than good out there or is it even? Um, no, I, there are like, of course, always good examples and bad examples. And there is the in-between. Uh, but I think the main issue in the region is that Arabic is still uh, in the second place. English is uh, still number one. And then Arabic becomes an afterthought. So it's usually always created after uh, the English text. So it becomes more of a translation, especially if you don't go through the whole journey of localization. Um, so what brands are, are doing well these days is that they are uh, more interested in Arabic language and they are more aware of how important it is to have an Arabic presence on, on uh, digital platforms because this is where everyone is and you need to uh, cater to this audience. And while in Dubai, we always forget that there are other parts <laughs> in the Arab world where Arabic is still the number one language. Saudi. Saudi, Egypt, uh, Levant countries. So you need, if you really want to reach uh, all this audience, then you need to speak their language. Um, what I would recommend for these brands, uh, first of all, please don't use Google Translate. This is, Google Translate is not your friend. And even if, it's, uh, if it costs you a fraction of like what... Uh, the, the cost of hiring a freelancer or an agency, don't do it. And in fact, it's better to not 
present any Arabic content on your platform at all than to present uh, content that is Google translated. Because no matter how developed it is, it doesn't understand context still. And it doesn't understand, like, am I talking in plural form? Am I talking in singular? Am I talking to a man or a woman? Because Arabic language differentiates between these uh, nouns for masculine nouns and feminine nouns. And Google Translate will never give you that uh, uh, context. Uh, The second recommendation I would say is hire someone uh, who is an Arabic speaker or like native and uh, use their knowledge, their insight, even if they're not a language expert or like copyright or translation translator, but they understand the region and they can guide you into mm-hmm. like the do's and don'ts of, of uh, your content journey. And what's amazing is that I get a lot of uh, uh, clients who don't have a single Arabic speaker in their team. And like, how are you, like, how do you uh, operate in, in this region and you target Arab audience, but you don't have any insight into, into mm. them? So definitely use Arab resources. Mm. If you don't have a full time, then seek help from um, an agency or an expert um, and get that kind of insight. Um, the other recommendation, and I think it's something that uh, we already talked about, is like don't make Arabic an afterthought. Like when you're creating your content, make it on the same level as, mm. as English and pay a lot of attention to the cultural background of the region because there could be a lot of, of mistakes that can happen uh, and that can be offensive sometimes if you don't have that kind of knowledge. Um, the one that, I mean, I think when it comes to our line of work that I find always, uh, not challenging, but is, uh, Arabic typography, mm-hmm. I think there's still a very much a lack of good Arabic fonts for digital. Because mm-hmm. when we design, when you talk about the, uh, you start with the Arabic and, and the English together. You know, in some in some cases, we start with the Arabic first when we design and we use Arabic content because we know that if it works for that, it's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna work for uh, when we come to doing English in some in some ways because we've designed for the I suppose you know that the fonts are a bit are different, so the length of words to say something sometimes take more take more space and stuff like that. So I think that. In some design context, I can totally agree with you that you need to not make it an afterthought mm-hmm. because you'll come into some real complications when you flip it exactly, or yeah. when you design it. And you're like, ah, oh, I didn't leave enough space for yeah. this title yeah. in that language. Yes, correct. Um, so I think that's, I can definitely re- relate to that. Yay! I like, for example, now there are some brands, especially homegrown brands that have Arabic names for, mm. for, uh, like they picked Arabic names to, to represent the brand, like Kafu, for example, mm. which means like, you know, I got it, you know, like mm. it's a kind of a slang for, uh, I got this. So, um, that's an amazing way to reach your, your audience. And it's like, 
in the region. It's a homegrown brand. So why not use an Arabic name for it? And it's like a name that is easy to use. It's not like you're using like very specific Arabic letters that no one else can yeah. pronounce. Phonetic, you can say it as yeah, well. Yeah, like Talabat, for example. Mm. Uh, I it's also an Arabic word that means like orders mm. or requests. Um can think of like Karim also is another app, um, which means generous in Arabic. And there is a brand, like a very big fashion brand that this year they created uh, their first um, Ramadan series, you know, like how uh, TV and Ramadan yes. is so important. Like there's the whole uh, Ramadan series culture in the region. So they are an Italian fashion brand, but like they created a mini series online in Arabic and uh, it's like they're releasing it uh, in Ramadan, which is amazing. Like, yeah. this is what you need to do. Like, brands that are still don't know how to approach Arabic content should look at these examples and try to create something similar. Even there is like another very important, I don't know if we can name names. Here. You can name names, like, it's fine. They, maybe, <laughs> maybe they'll come with sponsors <laughs> or something. Gabbana, they created an Arab. Uh, uh, a new perfume and they gave it an Arabic name. I can't remember what it is, but even they wrote it in Arabic on the bottle. And this is uh, great because uh, like almost all brands, uh, perfume brands have created um, uh, perfumes that are specific for the region, like from Oud or like uh, real incense and, and uh, um, other uh, Arabic smells and they always give them like either uh, english names or they don't even bother writing the name in arabic on the bottle but this brand did this and this is amazing and it gives uh, the right it sends the right message and it's more approachable so these are examples that are really good and that um, other brands can take no, I, I, definitely, I, I definitely have seen a lot more Arabic name brands come into life using Arabic calligraphy in a beautiful way, and you know, as you say, like they're they're using very uh, sometimes phonetic words that can be easily yeah. said by anyone. Um, I've definitely seen that more, and I think that's that's uh, that that over the last I think few years, it's definitely got a lot. More, uh, more brands come into that market. And it's very important because, uh, like, if you look at statistics or mm. numbers, uh, I think around 26% of uh, uh, Arab online users spend five to six hours per day mm. on, on the internet. So, like, imagine the potential there, like how yeah. much uh, you can reach with, with tailor-made Arabic content that is specific to uh, the region that you're trying to target so there's absolutely very big opportunity there and uh, especially that also currently statistics show that two to three percent of the content that is available online now is in arabic and that's like a very small percentage mm. like two to three percent mm. it's like nothing mm. um so there is absolutely huge potential there and a lot can be uh, done to improve the presence of arabic content online definitely definitely um what are the common challenges uh you come across when creating content in Arabic and how do you overcome them? 
I think from my experience, the biggest challenge is finding young talents mm. that are um, good in, in creating Arabic content and who want to create content mm. in Arabic. Uh, because as we mentioned before, less and less of the young generation uh, can... Uh, like maybe they can speak, but they cannot read and write uh, in a level that allows them to create content in Arabic. So there is definitely a lack of, of that kind of talent, um, especially when you want to create current and modern content. Like well, we were talking about Gen Z and the millennials, and they consume content in a different way. And they have their own terminology and their own uh, words. So it's finding those people and those young talents who can create content in Arabic has been very challenging. Um, another aspect is like also the technical part. Um, we create content or like sometimes we receive the content in English, but it's uh, in a form that we cannot adapt into Arabic for technical reasons. Um, so if the platform that we are using doesn't support yeah. Arabic uh, fonts or like Arabic characters, then that's also another challenge and can be a setback to the project until this these bugs are fixed and so on. And then like, I think uh, uh, just educating the brands more on like what is the difference between using a dialect, like a specific dialect versus using Arabic uh, or like classical Arabic or Fusha. There are clients who say like oh we want it in emirati language like okay this is not a language and like sometimes we don't recommend using a specific uh, uh dialect uh and keeping it more like in the white um accent to in order to reach more uh people okay. so yeah, like trying also to uh, explain these things to the clients can be a little bit challenging. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, I can, I can definitely, I can never relate to find discovering that new talent, you know, especially if what you're saying before about like, um, maybe they don't go into that profession because maybe they use choose other professions and maybe they think it's uncool or yeah. there's a fear there. And if if that's if there's not a constant flow of young talent coming through the education system and going into employment and developing and crafting their skill more, then it must be hard to find someone. I think the same thing happens with uh, you know young designers. We look at students and we're working with students in different universities. You know, just simple things like the amount of time they're given to do a project is so much more mm -hmm. in college than when they come to working for someone. Um. Well, I think we've covered a lot and I think we've been speaking for one hour no and eight minutes uh, and 25, 26, 27 seconds. I think uh, I didn't feel like an hour. That was really cool. Um, I think that there's so much stuff that you touched base upon. You've definitely um, inspired me and like taught me stuff that I didn't know, honestly. And I think that there's so you could definitely deep dive in those different themes a bit more. Um, it's it's really interesting what you how you talk about the dialects and the finding. I mean, I've never heard of the white yeah. Arabic dialect, and now I know it. I'm going to use it in conversations. It'll look really cool. It's going to be sure. brilliant. <laughs> um, Until they tell you to speak. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, like 
monster Jevoudre. So I think that's really, I, you know, I've learned a lot. Um, but uh, I've got the last bit of questions, the sort of a bit, uh, a bit of fun. You've heard our podcast. I'm sure you're one of our dedicated loyal listeners. Um, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Oh, um, oh no, no, don't say that. That's really bad. Oh, jeez. Okay, thanks very much for your time. Well, uh, cheers. This is the end of the podcast. Um, all this leave to it. Great. Uh, no, so we've got, I've got a serious question, series um, uh, uh, questions that, bit funny uh and uh hopefully you've got some answers for those and uh (laughs) let's do it and uh so we'll start with our with our with our first one what is your favorite this is actually very these are good questions for you because you can choose arabic or english what is your favorite word and why uh in arabic i like the word it's like a degree of uh one degree of love Okay. In Arabic, because in Arabic language there are like degrees for love, you know, like start from like, oh, I really like you, and to like I'm obsessed with you in right. like a really <laughs> serial killer way. Really? And Hayam, <laughs> where does Hayam, where does Hayam it's land? It's pretty in? high. Like, a serial killer? Yeah, okay, serious. great, serial killer. <laughs> like, <laughs> not like I'm going to stalk you to okay. the rest of your life. Okay. Right? Hayam. Hayam. And it's actually a name, like it's a, it can be a name for a girl. Um, and in English, I like the word valor. Valor? What does that mean? What is that? Doesn't it mean valor? Or strength or something like that? How do you spell that? V A L. Oh, don't put me on this. Okay. Great. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a word. Okay. You see? Valor. <laughs> okay. I, I need some help. And it means courage? I think so, yeah. Okay. Maybe we can Google that. <laughs> and then if it's not a word you can delete this part <laughs> okay that's cool valor i've never heard about v-a-l v-a-l-e-r-u-e-u-r or like v-a-l-a meaning yeah god you're teaching me stuff the fallen no. casualties of war no mm. Bala, oh we're going to look at this. I want to know. <laughs> no, but I, I think there is even a, a, like a Valerie. This is where the name Valerie comes from, I guess. Really? I want to know. No. Try V-A-L-E-U. V-A-L-A. Ah, Valeur. Valeur. Is it French? Great Valeur. Valeur. Is it French? French, yeah. Valor. Valor. Oh, Valor. Is it in English as well? Listeners, I'm just going on to Google Translate, the application that uh, Ola slagged off only 10 minutes ago, and now she's totally into it. Um, great courage in the face of danger, especially in battle. Oh, okay. So Why? How would you come across that? Why would you like I that? I think I've heard it in a movie once, and I'm like, yes, Valor. <laughs> Wow. And you've never used it since. <laughs> no, not after this fiasco. Uh, I like that. Okay, Valor. Valor, that's good. I'm going to forget that. <laughs> I'm only joking. Um, what is your least favorite word um, and why? In, in Arabic, it's uh, mustahil. Mustahil. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is like impossible. Impossible, yeah. 
It's just like when you say, when you hear it, just like you feel everything is closed in your mm. face, you mm. know, like there's absolutely mm. no room for to escape or like to get over this obstacle. And I just don't like to hear it. And in English, it's like a phrase. It's like, like when you say uh, it's in the system, or like this is the system. Like, what is the system? Oh, this is the system. Why can't you change it? Yes. Like, you're a human. The system is just a thing. <laughs> you can use your it's brain. Jeez, oh, don't talk to me like that. <laughs> I love you like the audience. <laughs> I love it. Okay, it's in the system and uh, mustahil. Mm. Okay, mustahil. I like I like how it sounds mustahil, but I don't like the meaning. Mm. So I like the phonetic sound, mustahil, because yeah. it's got that heel, but yeah. I don't like the meaning. Okay. Um, what sound or noise do you love? I can't guess any of those because you're. A closed book. Uh, love uh, the barbell dropping. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Finish the what? Oh, uh, the noise that when when you're opening a bag of crisps that you love. This yeah. is the love. Okay, great. This is <laughs> some addiction issues. I think have come up yeah. to the surface. So that bag of crisp opening. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And like, of course, the sound of waves. And waves. The ocean. Love that. Yeah. yeah. Nice. <laughs> we want to be more sophisticated. So, bag. Of, if I open, if you open in a bag of crisp in front of the, the waves, waves, I mean that is heaven. That is heaven. Right. Okay. Yeah, okay. Good. Good. Stein, I hope you're listening. <laughs> okay. Uh, what sound or noise do you hate? The sound of mosquitoes and flies. Okay. Yeah. I cannot mm. stand it. Yeah. Especially when they're near your ear. Oh. You know. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. Nobody likes them, those guys. I uh, understand why mosquitoes still exist. Yes, yes. Well, we do need them. You know, Jurassic Park said they kept the blood and we made dinosaurs. That's what happened. <laughs> what? Are you serious? Don't say that to my son. He still thinks they're alive. Um, what profession, other than your own, would you have liked to attempt? Like a marine biologist. Somewhere where I can dive into the ocean for hours. But the ocean is really important to you. Yeah, I love the ocean. Okay, marine biologist. That's pretty. Is that um? No, you studied economic. Yeah, I studied economy, and then I did my masters in media. Okay, but I like fascinated by the underworld. Yeah. See, and I think like we've explored the space and the moon and Mars more than you. I agree. Explored what's in our oceans, but then what? maybe rightfully so because you don't want humans going and poking there and like destroying another ecosystem. That's true. Yeah, marine biologist. That's pretty. Can't you just quit what you quit what you've got now and just go on that path? Maybe. <laughs> Nothing no, is, nothing is mustahil. I, I agree. <laughs> nothing is mustahil. Nice choice of words there, on Allah, mashallah. Um, what advice would you give to a younger you, and at what period of time would you do it? Um, give me the year. How old are you? Where are you? It's actually not that. Yesterday, yeah, <laughs> I shouldn't have had that back at crisp. Like that's. Uh, it was the year two thousand sixteen. And I was in a job that... You just I, started here, no, no. Uh, that's when I started my Your own freelance mm. career and then my agency eventually. But it was like in a job that I really, I, I enjoyed my, my job, but it was like the 
atmosphere around me that was very toxic oh. and I just like should have put people on um, you know like uh, um, yeah and, you know put them to the in their place yeah in their in their place and I maybe did that I did that eventually but it took a while mm. and that's like when I said you know from that day on never uh, let this happen again mm. so yeah Wow, so that's not long ago. That's only five years ago, right? Yeah. So you should have... Uh, the advice to give to my younger self is just like... Uh, deal with it straight away. You, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, who would you want to interview, alive or dead, famous or not? Let me see if I can guess this one. And it's from what you've said. Famous or not? No, I'm out of ideas. No, yeah. I'd say you never guessed. I bet. I'm, <laughs> we've had a lot of um, we've had a lot of uh, religious, uh, you know, um, answers. Um, yeah, we've had a lot of religious answers. So really? what, yeah, okay. I can't imagine you'll be going down that way. No, no, let's not. Okay. <laughs> um, no, actually, I would like to interview Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson. Okay. Yeah, it's just like Shamo. Fascinating character. And there's so much mystery around him. But at the same time, he contributed a lot to mm. like pop culture and music and like, fashion and, and like this whole celebrity image. And I think like, yeah, there's a lot to know from this guy. I'd watch that interview. Yeah. That would be on Netflix straight away. <laughs> um, but I think that's a, I didn't, I, I couldn't actually, we didn't. I don't know your musical taste. So I wouldn't it's have never not guessed about that. It's music necessarily. It's just like mm. him as a character mm. and like all the um, controversy around him and like how he grew up and like his background, mm. and like how it shaped him, like his relationship with his dad, dad. and like his yeah. his family, and mm. then like how creative he was, just like mm. this big creative force and. I don't know if he was like misunderstood or like if he was actually, you know, like this big villain. <laughs> I, I assume you're a big fan. I am a fan. I like his music, mm. and but like it's just understanding, you know, the psychology behind him is so fascinating for me. <laughs> okay, that, I'd watch that. That'd be really good. I think I'd love to know the answers he's got. <laughs> I think that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um now that's really good that's really good uh i think that's all the sort of silly questions i have <laughs> um i hope uh, that i think that i think that it's been a really interesting uh hour and 20 minutes which is a long time um discuss a lot of uh topics i think that if anyone has any questions they can send them in via uh my email on the podcast yeah. um obviously we're gonna give you more information on our learner agency on the podcast uh pay to be able to uh, go to her agency site and find out more about the clients they work with and the work they do but um i really appreciate your time thank you so much thank and you. um yeah i'll I'll see you 35 listeners <laughs> uh, on the next show. Um, um, yeah, thanks for listening and uh, we'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. <laughs>
You're listening to Make a Design Podcast, a cushion for your ears.